Welcome to Life Beat. I am your host today, Chris Gast, Rights Life of Michigan's Education Coordinator. As promised last week, today we are going to be doing a feature looking at sort of the history of forced sterilization programs in America and how it relates to abortion. So what prompted this was uh, in last week's podcast, we talked about a message from NARAL Pro-Choice Massachusetts, NARAL, of course, stands for National Abortion Rights Action League. So this is a statewide affiliate of this uh, national pro-abortion group. And they were ragging on Texas's heartbeat law, um, banning abortions after a heartbeat can be detected. And they made this post for Columbus Day. And they said abortion bans like SB8, referring to Texas's law, disproportionately impact communities of color, including indigenous communities. As recently as 2010, ICE forcibly sterilized immigrant indigenous women against their will, unquote. Um, so what they were talking about was this case where the Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, um, there was this creepy doctor involved who was sterilizing women. Um, if you remember this whole controversy, it was that Trump is, uh, you know, Donald Trump is an evil supervillain Nazi bent on um, sterilizing these poor Hispanic women. Um, and this uh, is terrible. We have to get rid of him because he's going to destroy the earth and blah, blah, blah. Um, not to make light of this actual case, which was terrible, but it was a case of a one-off doctor who was deciding that these uh, women who had crossed the border legally and were in these facilities who needed health care decided, oh, I'm just going to forcibly sterilize uh, these uh, women without their knowledge, you know, because I don't think they should be having babies. And that's bad. And it's good that NARAL Pro-Choice Massachusetts is, um, you know, criticizing that. But it's a very tenuous link here that somehow Texas's law that says don't kill babies is connected to this case of uh, forcible sterilization. And I got really mad because, <laughs> as we're about to uh, talk about here, NARAL Pro-Choice Massachusetts, all of the abortion movement in general has done a lot more to advance the cause of sterilizing women than any pro-lifer. You know, if you had to look at one group in America that had the highest percentage of people against sterilization, it would be at a pro-life meeting. It would most certainly not be the membership of NARAL or Planned Parenthood or anybody like that. So uh, follow with me. We're going to take a, a deep dive, although in 30 minutes can't really go deep into anything that much. But let's talk about sterilization. Where did this come from? Who's responsible for it? Who is still doing it today and who is most likely to support it? So sterilization uh, became a big thing on the back of eugenics. So uh, the term eugenics was coined in 1883. Uh, it's a Greek word, eu meaning good, genics meaning growth, good growth, eugenics. The inventor of the phrase and the concept and the movement was Francis Galton. Francis Galton was Charles Darwin's cousin. 
And Galton became enamored with this idea after reading Darwin's very famous book, The Origin of Species. Now, <laughs> it doesn't get remarked on much, but the full original title of Darwin's book, Origin of Species, is, quote, On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life, unquote. Now, what, what Chuck was talking about there uh, was not necessarily human races. He was talking about uh, species in general. Um, but his cousin Frankie, Francis Galton, decided that, uh, to take that title very literally. And he became enamored with this idea that genetics in human was the most important determinant factor uh, in the course of the human race and specific races and Galton became obsessed with the idea that we can scientifically control human reproduction. And of course, necessarily, once you tie reproduction to public health and um, economics and ideology, you're going to eventually reach a place where you think that people should be forced to do specific things. Because let's face it, people don't always want to act accordance with a specific plan and so what happens when they don't do that you have to force them to do it and that is what Galton really unleashed on the world and then many others took it from there so in America specifically Indiana was the first state to pass a law that required forcible sterilization of certain people and that was in 1907 now I've seen you know some estimates and I think this number may be too low um, but estimates that 70,000 women and men were forcibly sterilized in the 20th century because of these programs. And I believe it was more than 30 states had forcible sterilization laws on their books. And this, of course, had a very racial connotation. Um, you know, I, I believe in the 1970s, a quarter of all Native American women were forcibly sterilized by the Indian Health Service in America. And this wasn't just, you know, this wasn't just in the before World War II in the ten, you know, in the teens and the twenties and the thirties. This was still going on as late as California and prisons in 2010. Now, is Do Donald Trump is not running the state of California, and I really don't think that MAGA fans are were the ones running California as late as 2010. Um, but this forced sterilization was going on in many states, in the north, the south, the east, the west. This was broadly supported and just uh, an obsession of people in the early 20th century. The most famous expression of this uh, mania, this insanity, was the Supreme Court case Buck versus Bell, which was decided in 1927. So Buck versus Bell was a case about Virginia's 1924 sterilization law, and uh, the woman who was uh, at the center of this case, Carrie Buck, you know, was suing, saying that it's unconstitutional to forcibly sterilize me. Uh, the Bell was the guy in charge of California's like eugenics, or excuse me, Virginia's uh, eugenics colonies. They called them for the feeble-minded or whatnot. Um, and this was a very interesting case. Supreme Court actually ruled eight to one 
eight to one, so pretty broadly popular, in favor not of Kerry Buck, but this Bell guy and Virginia's law forcibly sterilizing certain people. And generally, this whole idea of eugenics was the idea that poor people, especially, were poor because they had lower IQs and lower natural abilities. And because these natural abilities are completely controlled by genetics, therefore, you know, we have to stop the stupid people from reproducing. This was literally their thought. So Buck versus Bell, the Supreme Court decision, was authored by uh, Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, the darling of the progressive legal movement. And, you know, he, he, conclude, he summed up his argument as three, this is a quote from him, three generations of imbeciles are enough. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. This is the darling of progressive legal thought and theory that eventually gave us Roe versus Wade and is still active today. They were all for it. They believe this was what science was telling us. We have to trust the scientists. We have to follow through on this. Otherwise, there'll be a natural disaster and a human catastrophe and the poor people will overrun the world. It'll be the end of humans, uh, human civilization as we know it. And public health demands that we do this. And you can still see this whole public health you know, impetus still through today, but we, that's a discussion for another day. Buck versus Bell was never overturned. So, as some people like to say about these Supreme Court cases, Buck versus Bell and forced sterilization is still the law of the land in America. Now, obviously, it has thankfully become very unpopular, and, you know, California decided they had to knock it off, you know, 10 years ago after, you know, a good century of forced sterilization. Um, but it's still the law of the land. And that Buck versus Bell decision was very influential. Um, Nazi Germany's eugenics programs, you know, the, the Nazis didn't come up with these ideas on their own. They borrowed them from us. They modeled their program on some of these state laws and programs. And the fact of the matter is eugenics is still popular today. So the idea of eugenics in the word took a gigantic hit after World War II, and rightfully so, when people realized that once you let uh, open Pandora's box, uh, this nightmare is going to continue and necessarily will continue to death camps. That's just the natural order of this whole idea that we have these poor people or these racial mistakes, as we'll get into in a second, um, overrunning the globe, someone has to do something. And that invariably leads to death. But even the word eugenics is not very popular today. But instead, you see it in things, you see how the impact of abortion still works today. If you've ever talked to someone about abortion, you will very quickly happen upon an argument that we need uh, abortion because we'll have too many poor children and who will take care of them. And growing up poor is a horrible, uh, doomed existence and who would want that? So we need abortion to get rid of the poor children. They won't put it exactly that way, but they'll put it closely that way. And, and these are average people who have sort of absorbed this argument and idea 
that's been around now for a century and a half. Again, it's not very popular to talk about in terms of eugenics, but the whole concept, how abortion works, uh, you look at how some of the fertility industry is trending and the history, which we'll get into in a second, uh, this is still very popular today. So let's talk a little bit about Margaret Sanger. All roads lead back to Margaret Sanger in this. Um, Margaret Sanger, of course, is the founder of Planned Parenthood, uh, the uh, sort of person who brought about the idea of hormonal contraception um, in America, which figures into this story um, in a very ironic way. A firm promoter of this whole idea of eugenics and popularizer, uh, popu populized popularized it there we go um hey it's friday right uh she was the one who drove this and got uh sort of elites and really powerful influential people hooked on this idea of eugenics and population control and eventually led to so many of these things including forced sterilizations now many people will argue that well, today Margaret Sanger is bad, but before people would argue that Margaret Sanger was only supportive of voluntary sterilization. She just wanted to, this was totally a public health thing, and she didn't want to force anybody to do anything. Um, <laughs> well, let's listen to some quotes and get a good sense of her idea, and then let's talk about her program for public health to improve our uh, racial and genetic stocks, her words. Uh, so this is uh, some interesting quotes from Margaret Sanger to give you an idea of her opinion of poor people and, um, as Narrow Pro-Choice Massachusetts might put it, communities of color and indigenous communities. So uh, Sanger said, quote, Every single case of inherited defect, every malformed child, every congenitally tainted human being brought into this world is of infinite importance to that poor individual, but it is of scarcely less importance to the rest of us and all of our children who must pay in one way or another for these biological and racial mistakes. Unquote. So what Sanger is saying here then is, oh sure, these poor people who are born poor with defects and malformed and tainted, quote unquote, oh yeah, their life is pretty important, but it's more important to us. Because we and our children have to be the ones paying for these biological and racial mistakes. So Margaret Sanger is saying if, if you're poor, it's because you're genetically destined to be poor and you are a racial mistake. And you, your lineage, therefore, must be eliminated. That's Margaret Sanger. Another quote. The most merciful thing that the large family does to one of its infant members is to kill it. The same factors which create the terrible infant mortality rate and which swell the death rate of children between the ages of 1 and 5 operate even more extensively to lower the health rate of the surviving members. So there, Sanger is saying that uh, these large families, these large poor families, um, all these, these extra children being born into it are harming everyone else in the family, and the most merciful thing a large family could conceivably do is, is kill the baby infanticide. Now she's probably being a little hyperbolic there and wasn't actually 
suggesting infanticide should happen. Um, but hey, let's take her at face value here. And, and what has that idea gone on to do? You know, most abortions that happen are on women who already have one child or more in Michigan and the United States. This whole idea that we have to take the life of this new child to protect the prosperity of everyone else, that's Margaret Sanger's worldview writ large. And it's the one inspiring the majority of abortions still today. Here's an interesting quote. This is Margaret Sanger's view on charity. So the idea that we are going to uh, help poor people or even help poor people climb out of poverty. Margaret Sanger didn't like that because she didn't believe anyone could climb out of poverty. She believed you were destined to be poor because of your genetics. She said charity, quote, encourages the healthier and more normal sections of the world to shoulder the burden of unthinking and indiscriminate fecundity of others. That means fertility. Which brings with it, as I think the reader must agree, a dead weight of human waste. Instead of decreasing and aiming to eliminate the stocks that are most detrimental to the future of the race and the world, it tends to render them to a menacing degree dominant. Unquote. So Margaret Sanger said charity that is helping, uh, you know, um, poor people have be able to afford those children, helping those large families afford those children so they didn't have to uh, mercifully kill the, their infants, um, is going to, you know, make these poor people uh, menace society and dominant over the human race through their stocks that were continuing on, that were just dead weight of human waste. I mean, listen to this. This is the founder of Planned Parenthood who was around for about half of their history, you know, who and set all of this stuff in motion, who got all these billionaires across the world hooked on this idea of population control and abortion um, and sterilization. Uh, she's talking about poor people as dead weight of human waste. Like, you know, sure, people didn't always speak artfully about these topics and didn't always use artful words for referring to these people, but that's terrible. It's evil. It's hardcore evil. And it's all wrapped up in this idea that we can follow the science and trust the scientists and the experts and the smart people to deliver us into utopia if we just get rid of all of these people causing these problems. And there's nothing we can do to help these people. That's terrible. So, after listening to some of those quotes, the idea that she was, oh, you know, oh, she really just wanted voluntary sterilization. Now, if you thought if these poor people were going to, you know, be dominant and menace the globe and they're just human waste and they're better off if they were just dead, do you think a person like that really is going to place a high premium on the whole idea of voluntary when it comes to sterilization? This was a... Uh, Margaret Sanger's, you know, quote, plan for peace. You know, what, what does the United States government need to do for us to realize peace in America? And here were a couple of her propositions. Uh, the government needed to, quote, keep the doors of immigration closed 
to the entrance of certain aliens whose condition is known to be detrimental to the stamina of the race, such as feeble-minded, idiots, morons, insane, syphilitic, epileptic, criminal, professional prostitutes, and others in this class barred by the immigration laws of 1924. All these indigenous people, right? Um, Sanger says, no, get rid of them. So we needed to apply a stern and rigid policy of sterilization and segregation to that grade of population whose progeny is tainted or whose inheritance is such that objectionable traits may be transmitted to offspring to ensure the country against future burdens of maintenance for numerous offspring as may be born of feeble-minded parents by pensioning all persons with transmissible disease who voluntarily consent to sterilization and to give certain dysgenic groups in our population their choice of segregation or sterilization. Okay, so that's Sanger's idea of voluntary. Well, yeah, you agree to be sterilized and we'll give you some money. And if you don't, we're going to permanently segregate you from humanity. <laughs> that's voluntary. Um, was Sanger a racist? Well, Planned Parenthood says she is now. Uh, they didn't before. I mean, here's an excellent quote. You know, besides the fact that she would give presentations to the Ku Klux Klan, this is Margaret Sanger talking about her birth control, sterilization, etc. program. Quote, The minister's work, and she's talking here about uh, black ministers, is also important, and he should be trained perhaps by the Federation as to our ideals and the goal that we hope to reach, we do not want word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population, and the minister is the man who can straighten out that idea if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. Unquote. Um, so now, a charitable a interpretation of that is, well, we don't want them to falsely believe that we want to eliminate their race. Um, that's the charitable interpretation, but for a gal that talked about all these other people, you know, who tended to be more uh, more likely to be communities of color in indigenous communities near all pro-choice Massachusetts. Um, that sounds racist to me. And certainly the modern idea if a, if a policy or, or belief or anything disparately impacts a community of color, then it's ipso facto racist. I mean, that's racism undeniably. Now, it's really interesting. She wrote this letter to Dr. Clarence Gamble of Procter & Gamble fame, who was a big part of her eugenics, birth control, sterilization, etc. program. Clarence Gamble was very heavily involved in this whole program in Puerto Rico. Very successful. In fact, by the 1960s, Clarence Gamble managed to have about a third of Puerto Rican women sterilized. Many against their will. And not only that, Puerto Rico was where we essentially invented the birth control pill. So in the 1950s, uh, two scientists named Gregory Pincus and John Rock, inspired and influenced by Margaret Sanger and funded by Catherine McCormick, carried out human trials using the early birth control pill on women in Puerto Rico. Women died. They've been given no compensation. There's been very little acknowledgement of this. You can find some now online uh, from people who might be otherwise supportive of this whole idea, but th this is a horrible crime against humanity, and it's largely been completely unacknowledged. Now, Gregory Pincus and John Rock, the scientists, are 
you know, they're creepy guys. They're famous for their foundational research into in vitro fertilization, which I find a little interesting thread there. Uh, Catherine McCormick was, um, you know, from the McCormick family. That's the money that funded these birth control experiments on women against their will who died in Puerto Rico who were being forcibly sterilized at the same time. Um, little fun, in, well, not fun, interesting connection to Michigan. Catherine McCormick was born Catherine Dexter. Her grandfather founded Dexter, Michigan. And the McCormick family that she married into was famous for agricultural production. They own the company International Harvester, the, the, you know, uh, grain reapers uh, to increase grain harvest. You know, their nickname were the Reaper Kings. Just leave that there. Um, another little short aside so these experiments on these Puerto Rican women who were being forcibly sterilized against their will um, were the early experience using progesterone. You know, can a progesterone be used as an abortion, uh, or excuse me, as a contraceptive? You know, against these women, no previous research. This was done without their will. And then you fast forward to today where the treatment to prevent an abortion pill um, is progesterone. And progesterone is used as a very common treatment for uh, preventing uh, miscarriage and actually can be used to reverse an abortion pill. And these same people who a few decades ago were forcibly sterilizing Puerto Rican women and experimenting on them without their will are the same ones today saying, oh, we can't do abortion pill perversal because progesterone is untested and it's, and it's, uh, it's dangerous and it's unethical, even though progesterone is a common pregnancy treatment. These people have no shame. Zero shame. I shouldn't say that. They must have some shame because now Planned Parenthood is disavowing Margaret Sanger and everything that she's done. But um, it's not over. They're still around today. One final little story I wanted to talk about. Um, the leader in forced sterilization in the world is undoubtedly China. And their one-child, now three-child policy, because of the after-effects of it, have been so damaging to the country they've had to loosen it. Um, loosen in air quotes here. Uh, China's been doing this since 1980, just like the Nazis took inspiration from us and all of those ideas, you know, China was influenced by us in this whole overpopulation scare. And so um, the International Planned Parenthood Federation's affiliate in China is the China Family Planning Association. And uh, so this is part of Planned Parenthood. This is Planned Parenthood's organization. This is Planned Parenthood in China, is the China Family Planning Association. By their own admission, they've been part of this since the beginning. They said directly, you know, quote, the, Chinese, the China Family Planning Association plays a very important role in China's family planning program. It supports the present family planning policy of the government, which is appropriate for the present national situation. Unquote. Forced abortions, forced sterilizations, we support it. Now, today, IPF, International Planned Parenthood Federation, goes to great pains to try to make it seem that this is voluntary. They put voluntary many times on their website, but fact of the matter is they are still engaging in this today. The China Family Planning Association was founded in 1980, same year as the one-child policy. Uh, in testimony before the British Parliament, 
Um, the China Family Planning Association admitted that it had, quote, participated and supervised with the awarding and punishing policies relating to family planning were properly executed. And IPPF, International Planned, Pen, uh, Planned Parenthood Federation itself, admitted that their China affiliate volunteers, quote, sometimes collect the occasional fine when a couple breaks the birth plan rules, unquote. So, <laughs> when the Chinese family planning authorities are rounding up women in China um, to find their economic lives out of existence, that's Planned Parenthood, that's Margaret Sanger, that's the same cast of characters. So the next time someone who supports abortion ever tries to get on your case about uh, forced sterilization or links that to pro-lifers in any way, just laugh in their faces because it is patently ridiculous. These people have harmed hundreds of thousands of women, millions of women, for decades, and it's never been acknowledged, and no one's ever been held accountable, and Planned Parenthood still to this day collects your tax dollars to help make this happen around the globe. So, uh, just want to end with one quick plug. You know, if you want to learn a little bit more about Sanger and how she got all these billionaires hooked on this population control kick, um, I'll just recommend our episode 123. It was on February 11 of 2021, How Billionaires Got Hooked on Population Control. Uh, it's a great little deeper dive into how we got into this situation. All right, that's all the time we have for this edition of Life Beat. Join us again next week. Have a wonderful fall Michigan weekend.